Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. Additional support comes from State Street, produced by KUER. Hosts Sean Higgins and Sage Miller take a fresh look at politics the Utah way. Get episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or at statestreetpod.org. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Representative Rosemary Lesser, Democrat from Weber County. Dennis Romboy, editor and reporter for the Deseret News and Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Davis County. Thank you so much for being with us. We have two weeks left of the legislative session, a lot still on the docket. There's a few things that we heard about going into the legislative session, uh, some bills we thought we would see, and, and Senator Weiler, I want to start to, with, with tax reform because we went into the session, people talking about this year, this tax cut. Talk about the approach so far, and then we'll break down some of the pieces. Yeah, so we're going to cut about $400 million more in taxes, and this is in addition to the two or three tax cuts that we've already done the last couple of years. Um, a lot of people are poo-pooing that, saying, oh, it's only $17 a month for the average family. Well, maybe they can buy eggs, eggs now because those have gone up about $17 a month. And we're, you know, we're going to have a variety of tax cuts, some aimed at the poor, some aimed at uh, Social Security and relieving that burden, and some aimed at income tax. And you know, I think it's always interesting. Some will criticize a tax cut because they'll say, well, it's, it's benefiting the, the wealthy. Well, if, if you don't pay income tax, you, you can't cut your income tax. And so I'll just leave it at that. So, mm-hmm. so Dennis, how is this being received? Because, you know, people talk about whether where the money should go. If we cut taxes, where do we put it? What programs should we put the money in? What are you hearing as you're uh, reporting? Well, I, I think one of the things that's always considered is, is should we actually cut taxes? Maybe this money should go to social programs and other things like that. Democrats have always pushed for that. Uh, maybe some of it should go in a rainy day fund. Um, you never know when we're going to need money, just given the situation of the economy. Uh, you know, the state's always trying to pay for things. Um, you know, tax cuts great, but I think there's other areas in state government that probably could use an infusion of money as well. Mm-hmm. Representative Lesser, one of those areas is the food tax. It's interesting. This has been since uh, 1933. We've been talking about this particular tax as a state. Some efforts this session, talk about what those are and what you think might happen, including one of your own bills on the food tax. Right. Well, I I would love to see the food tax actually be part of this year's tax package, although it may not get to that. But I, to um, Senator Weiler's point, um, food prices have gone up so dramatically. People are truly feeling the cost of uh, food and food inflation, and this is a way that very quickly and simply we can reduce taxes by doing it at the register. So I would support eliminating the tax on food, and I am enthused that the governor just yesterday in his press conference talked about eliminating that food tax. He did. Let's get some history on this one, Senator Weiler, because you were part of this, too. Uh, It was in in 2019. Uh, The legislature, uh, in a special session, passed some tax reforms uh, in in an effort to reduce income tax. Uh, They increased some of the tax on food, gasoline, some other areas here. Talk about what happened right there, and then uh, from that special session, what happened soon thereafter in the general session in 2020? 
Well, the discussion was would they restore a portion of the state sales tax that was cut under Governor Huntsman. So historically, it had been there and then it had been taken off. And, um, you know, after that special session, there, there were a lot of signatures gathered. And then so the legislature came back a month later on the second day of the session in January of 2020, just before COVID, and repealed that because, you know, the, the people had, you know, pe people had indicated that they didn't want a $200 million tax cut, which was what that program was. And so I, I when, when we talk about cutting the sales tax on food, and I think Representative Lester knows this, but I'm not sure all your viewers don't, we're talking about cutting the state's portion. So even if we did that, the, the cities uh, and the counties, they, they have their portion. So it wouldn't be that that food is, is tax-free. And I think a lot of people will be disappointed when they find that out. Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, what often we talk about here is, uh, is really what the pots of money are. So this income tax is earmarked for education, and you have our sales tax, other, these other tax we're talking about uh, really go towards the general fund. And there's been some conversations whether or not they should tie these two issues together uh, for this legislative session. Yeah, <clears throat> I guess I don't understand that exactly. Um, why this food tax can't be considered on its own merit as a, as a cut, and why this constitutional amendment to be able to allow the legislature to redirect some of these <clears throat> income taxes to funds other than education can't be considered on its own as well. Seems like these two, two things are tied together. Um, the legislature is kind of making a deal. Hey, if uh, you want to cut the food tax, then let us be able to use this income tax for things other than education. Is that a deal, Senator Weiler? Yeah, but they're tied together for a good reason. We're the only state in the nation that has this artificial handcuffs on the legislature with the income tax. And the reality is, is when our economy ever, whenever it goes into recession, the food tax is the most stable portion of the sales tax revenue. And, and it's the only tax that some people pay. And so if you're going to take that state uh, um, tax away, you're going to put some instability into that sales tax revenue. And that's why they're saying, well, then release us from this burden that no other state has so that mm -hmm. we can um, shift the money around where we need it. I believe that's in the state constitution, isn't it? That's Senator? why it would go to the ballot. Yeah, that's, yeah so, the, so the voters would decide ultimately whether to do that or not. Mm -hmm. but, but the voters would also be deciding if they want to remove the sales tax for food. So. Go to and, and, you know, interestingly, although we talk about the constancy of uh, the food tax as a source of revenue, it's actually a very small portion of the overall sales tax revenue. And, in fact, as a result of the um, Supreme Court decision that allowed online sales to be remitted directly to the state, we're receiving considerably larger sums of money from that than the food tax. I maintain, as one of those signature gatherers, as part of the referendum, that eliminating the tax on food would truly affect the lives of all Utahns, mm -hmm. and that's why I have advocated for that. I also agree with the fact that I don't think that these two need to be linked together as in the discussion, mm -hmm. so um, I appreciate your point about the lack of linkage. Talk about your bill for a minute, because I think you are eliminating the sales tax on everything except for yeah. candy. Talk about that. Well, one of the reasons I did that actually was because it was the exact same fiscal impact as the as 0.1 percent income tax. So, I did that as a substitute for the income tax bill. And uh, interestingly, and it's nothing. I have nothing against candy. I'm fine with candy. But interestingly, by taxing candy at the normal sales tax rate, that actually gives the cities and municipalities who do collect a local portion about. Two and a half million 
million more from candy revenue. So um, this had, had <clears throat> nothing to do with being anti-candy. <laughs> I understand that. Candy lobby, appreciate well, that. That, that could be thrown in with the sin tax then, the candy tax and that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, so so uh, before we leave this, Senator Weiler, are we going to see anything else in tax reform uh, before the end of the session? Well, I think the proposal was just uh, unleashed really yesterday, and I think as, the pub as we get public feedback, we might see some minor tweaks, but I expect it to be around a $400 million package. The devil's really in the details. Will it all be income tax, or, or will there be other um, components to it? And I believe that there will also be um, a change in the Social Security tax exemption and raising mm -hmm. the income threshold for to individuals to who yeah. can now deduct that. Uh -huh. So that's part of this bill. It's House Bill 54, tax revisions by uh, the sponsor in the House is Steve Elison. And uh, Dennis, before we leave this entirely, that, that would reduce the income tax rate from 4.85% to 4.65%. That's also attached to that bill. Yeah, I, I think that's that's helpful. I mean, it, it gives some tax relief. Okay. You know? and, and Jason, I, I can't help but point out we're competing with other states for new jobs, and some of the some of the other states have no income tax, and some of the other states around us have lowered their income tax. So this is not only about relief to voters; it's about keeping Utah competitive in the future for high-paying jobs for companies expanding their workforce because companies pay very close attention to that that income tax rate. Mm -hmm. uh, a big bill this week. We'll start with you. Representative, uh, we knew abortion bills were coming. Uh, we had this United States Supreme Court decision, left a lot of these decisions to the states themselves, and our state is approaching this. Talk about this bill that came out this week, uh, starting the House with Representative Lizenby. Right. Well, this, this bill was actually presented to the Judiciary Committee and not Health and Human Services. So this was more related to the interpretation of the law. And it um, there was some collaboration with physicians in the state of Utah for this bill. But even with this uh, discussion, I think that there is still a lot of work to be done because there are a lot of um, real government overreaches in the area of licensure, of health clinics, and um, even specifying how a surgical procedure is to be done. And for those of us in the medical profession— And you, do, you deliver babies. I you're, do. You're, you're a physician. I do. I do. And so, you know, there really is no other situation where the um, legislature dictates how a surgical procedure is to be performed. And so I think that there needs to be some ongoing discussion about this particular bill. And Quite honestly, this may need to be put to the voters of our state. Well, and let me just say, there's no other surgical procedure that's designed to end a human life like this, like abortion is. And so I think it's appropriate. You know, we've seen other states, I think Kentucky and other states, that they've banned abortion outright. And Utah hasn't done that. We're not going to do that. I don't think we'll ever do that. We're always going to have those exceptions for the health of the mother and rape and incest and, and things like that. But, you know, this an abortion bill like this could go to health and human services. It could go to judiciary. I don't think either one's wrong. We're all reacting to the Dobbs decision. It's not like there's a new medical breakthrough that 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 we're legislated about. Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, uh, we did some polling with, with the Deseret News, yeah, Hinckley Institute, about this, uh, about abortion policy, and this is uh, where Utahns were. And talk about this for a moment through the lens of this bill. 46% of Utahns said abortion should be legal only in cases of rape, incest, and threats to the, the health of the mother, which is, we, we'll talk about that portion of the bill. 18% should be legal in all cases, and 14% uh, should be legal up to viability. 
Yeah, so if you take the percentages of those who believe that there should be some form of abortion outside of just the exceptions that he mentioned, um, that's like 44% of Utahns believe in some form there should be elective abortions, which I, I find that that's pretty interesting, that there would be that high of a percentage uh, here in the state. And, you know, I don't know if what the legislature is doing exactly aligns with <clears throat> the, the results of our poll and what, what Utahns think about abortion in general. Mm -hmm. uh, Representative, what provisions do you think we're going to still hear about? We've we had a chance to review the bill, and there have been some modifications since we saw those early drafts. What do you think is going to happen next? And maybe Senator Wilder talk about the strategy when the Senate, when it does come to you. Well, I think one of the things that has really impacted the medical community is the um, uh, elucidation of what constitutes the threat to the mother's health or life. In the early trigger bill, the only intervention was allowed for if the mother would sustain irreversible harm to her uh, uh, health, and defining irreversible was really problematic, and many physicians struggled with mm -hmm. how do you define that, especially in these really emergency situations. Now, I acknowledge that these are not particularly common, but they, they do <clears throat> happen, and these involve really important physicians' decisions, and um, second-guessing those is problematic. Um, in the well, and let me say, when we passed the trigger law, I was there. This was like the dog chasing the car. Well, the dog just caught the car, so now what do you do? Because now the Dobbs decision did overrule Roe versus Wade. When we passed the trigger law and everything before, uh, you know, last June, we, it was all it was all hypothetical. It was all you know, fan <laughs> so, you know, maybe hope with a little bit mm -hmm. of fantasy. And now that it's actually happened, now we're like, whoa, you know, if this is going to a, this is actually going to, into effect, we need to maybe get um, so, some more tweaks. And I think Re Representative Ward has worked on a bill uh, that would further define that as well. I just wonder if these kinds of laws paralyzed doctors, you would know better in an emergency situation, can I do this or can I not do this? And if I do this, am I going to lose my license or am I going to be prosecuted or something like that? So I think there needs to be clear lines, it needs to be clearly defined, um, so there, and I'm afraid there's going to be gray area no matter, no matter what the law says. There, there will absolutely be gray area. And to try to um, codify exactly what constitutes the threat of the life to the mother, also in this bill there is no acknowledgment of the, um, um, mental illness that could be a compromise, only physical illness. And I think that that is a really significant oversight in this particular bill. But to your point, um, trying to list all of the um, qualifiers for seriousness is really problematic. From the physician's perspective, <clears throat> one of the provisions that changed was uh, they added the word intentional violation of the law, because otherwise it was a felony, potentially, if the circumstances were not met. Uh, what kind of comfort does that give, adding that? It gives no comfort. Okay. <laughs> I think that intentional, that, that particular language gives no comfort, mm -hmm. because uh, determining, well, we can ask our attorney friend here that determining intent is a really problematic well, yeah, but I think, I mean, determining intent is is difficult. That's why we have jury trials on, on murders and things. And I'm not talking about doctors. I'm just saying intent is, you know, juries in the United States has, have often wanted to know what the motive was and what someone intended to do in a typical criminal case. I'm not talking about abortion doctors. I'm just talking about, you know, regular criminal law. But I think that's a, a, a huge improvement to the bill, um, you know, uh, personally as an attorney. But I, I have a different perspective uh, than you as a doctor. So. Before we leave this entirely, 
one of the things that might not be completely clear in this bill too, Dennis, is that uh, there will be no more abortion clinics under this law by January 1st of next year. Yeah, and, and this is happening before the law's even been decided. The trigger law's on hold right now. Um, I wonder if the legislature is getting a little bit ahead of itself before the, before the case has been been decided. And I think uh, Representative Lizamy thinks it'll be decided by next January. Uh, I'm not sure that that will be the case. And Senator Weiler knows how long uh, litigation takes. Yeah. So I mean, it's before the Supreme Court. It could be decided next week, quite frankly. Um, but um, so we only have one abortion clinic in Utah. It's in Salt Lake City. And so you know, people that live in St. George, they're they're much closer to an abortion clinic in in um, uh, Las Vegas, people that live in you know the eastern side of the state might be closer to Denver. So we're talking about one clinic and, and we're, versus every hospital in, in the state. And so, uh, and also, Representative Lizenby's bill has not been pa even passed the House yet. It hasn't been to the Senate. Just a committee hearing. It, yeah. So, so it may be tweaked before you know before it you know if it does pass all the way through. Okay. I have a couple more bills I want to get to, but maybe we start with a student question, uh, which I thought was sort of insightful, uh, given uh, where sessions start and where they end. Let's listen to this question. Hi, my name is Ian. I'm a sophomore at the University of Utah studying political science and public policy. My question is, it seems like every single legislative session has a theme to it. This one was widely anticipated to be about schools and children, but a lot of the prominent bills dealing with those issues passed at the beginning of the session. Do you think that some of the more recent bills that are being considered and passed right now kind of overshadow this theme? Thank you. Representative, let's give you a shot first. Well, I, I uh, thank Ian for that great question about the themes of the legislators. You know, we've actually moved from themes pretty much weekly. Mm -hmm. We started out with education. We moved into LGBTQ rights uh, and uh, the limitation thereof. And then we had Water Week, which um, I think was actually just the beginning of considering water. Uh, in these next few weeks, I think that we'll be looking at health care as well. And uh, I was really excited to see, at least in committee, our recognition that postpartum women need to be covered more than just 60 days. So um, I look forward to the end of this session being related to health of our community, um, both physical health, a lot of mental health initiatives, and a lot of housing uh, discussions still uh -huh. to come. Senator. So, so, so nobody comes, I mean, we have 104 legislators. We don't really coordinate with each other. Um, I think um, Representative Lesser hit on the themes, but two other themes. I've never seen this many election bills, election reform yeah. bills. I don't know that very many of them will pass through the Senate, but I've never seen this many school safety bills. Um, and I've never seen as many bills targeted at the Great Salt Lake and the other lakes, about nine bills. And so I think, um, you know, we have 800 bills that have been filed. We'll pass about 500 of them. So usually it's more to the media and to outside observers to tell us what they think the themes are. All right, Dennis, <laughs> that's the cue for you. Well, I, I think Representative Lesser described it well. I think it's been a theme a week so far. You know, um, I think uh, tax reform is going to be a theme uh, going uh, forward in the last couple of weeks. The budget still hasn't been put together, um, so that that's another theme. But yeah, I think we try to find themes, but uh, I, I couldn't pinpoint an overriding theme so far in this session because it's been and it's been different though the approach I think is let's take care of this and then move on to this and let's take care of that and, and something really <clears throat> important is we'll get our final budget projections next Tuesday so we don't even know how much yeah. money we're playing with yet. Uh, we should just comment on that that's a very important point is right now we're working on budget numbers that we anticipated the consensus revenue numbers when they come in next week will drive a lot of the decisions going forward and those typically go up don't they 
they well in recent years they haven't. Have, yeah. Remember, Jason, we're trying to budget through June of next year, so 16 months from now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, one of the things was just mentioned, Representative Lesser, is the Great Salt Lake. I think we should talk about that because we're starting to see those bills uh, come. What are you seeing? And maybe talk about your own bill, sure. which you know it's, it's it's interesting, but also the connection to the Great Salt Lake is so important. Great. Well, the bill you're talking about is the bill to designate the brine shrimp as the state crustacean, and this was brought by a group of students uh, from Emerson Elementary here in Salt Lake City who were absolutely passionate about the role of the brine shrimp in the incredible ecosystem of the Great Salt Lake. And they petitioned their government, as we have had since the beginning of government, to consider this. And I think it's really wonderful. They know more about the state crustacean or the brine shrimp than I suspect any of us. <laughs> I've represented a few brine shrimp companies as a lawyer, so I know a little bit about that. I used to well. collect them at the Great Salt Lake in a paper cup when I was a kid. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. well, it's interesting. Sort of our mascot of the Great Salt Lake as we as we work on that. Uh, before we leave the Great Salt Lake, Senator Weiler, are you going to see any other bills connected to it and funding once we have the final budget numbers? Well, we spent about a half billion dollars last year. I expect we'll do about the same this year. The biggest change that we're going to make for the next hundred years we made last year, and that is to no longer incentivize people with water rights to use them uh, to use the water if they didn't need it. Um, and the Great Salt Lake has already risen over a foot just in the last two months. Uh, we still have 11 feet to go. But we had his, we had near historic lows in the 1930s and the 1960s, and the Great Salt Lake came back from those, and it's going to come back from this. We are not, let me let me repeat this, we are not going to lose the Great Salt Lake. We're going to do everything we have to to save it. Excellent. Uh, one of the thing, themes that was presented just a moment ago is we do have a couple mental health bills. Uh, I want to talk about uh, two of those in particular, uh, one that probably has a chance and one that seems like it might not uh, as much as well. Uh, Brian King is working on one for public employee disability benefits, Representative Lesser, that lets public employees with mental disabilities have the same benefits that people have with physical disabilities. Right. And, and this is continuing the same progress that we have been making to have parity between physical health and mental health. For so long, mental health issues have been put on the back burner, both in terms of health care and uh, with regard to benefits. I think that this is the step in the right direction that we need to go and recognize that our public employees are really vulnerable to some of the stressors that induce um, mental challenges and they need to be recognized for that. It needs to be recognized and treated and I applaud <laughs> this initiative. And this parity issue has been going on for at least 20 years or so. Yes. I, I covered this yeah. at the legislature around 2000, 2001 when this was an issue and um, with insurance and uh, being, you know, equal with between physical and mental health, and, and, and we're still talking about it 20 years later. Um, incremental progress has been made on that, and we'll see what the legislature decides to do this session. This is about the third or fourth year in a row where we've had a, a strong emphasis on mental health. I think it's long overdue. The, the stigmas are starting to dissipate a little bit. I personally have a couple of my siblings um, that have severe mental health problems, so I've lived with this my whole life, and um, I, I think it's about time that we, we bring some more parity uh, mm -hmm. into the equation. One of the interesting bills this, that we heard just this past week was on uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Uh, and it was a bill from uh, Senator Escamilla, uh, was uh, psychedelic mushrooms for mental health issues like depression, anxiety, PTSD. Uh, we may be hearing this one's not going to get 
very far, Representative. Poss possibly not, but you know, we have one of the leading mental health institutes here at the University of Utah. And in fact, that was actually one of the recommendations of the task force that we had put in place last year. <coughs> so we, I think, need to continue to investigate this as scientists and look for ways to uh, improve treatment in, and think outside mm -hmm. the box, mm -hmm. literally. This here is a conversation starter. This is yeah, okay. similar to the medical cannabis. Um, it took several years for that to, to kind of pass through the, the legislature. Um, I think this is just the, the first we're going to hear about that. The bill won't pass the Senate. Um, uh, Representative Lester and I won't even get a chance to vote on it. And I had a doctor uh, from Orem yesterday lobbying me saying that th th this is a, these are addictive drugs and uh, we're jumping in too fast with that bill. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's talk about the national stage for just a moment. Dennis, because another polling question, do Utahns want the Olympics? I think we had to talk about that for a minute because we had Olympic representatives here in the states, we've got the, the world, you know, the world watching our NBA All Star game here mm. this week. Talk about Utah on the all, national all stage. All I can say is, boy, do you does do Utahns want the Olympics? Um, it was great in 2002. Um, I think our poll showed what, like 80 something percent support uh, for bringing the Olympics back 82 again. 82 percent. That's mm -hmm. up from our poll from last summer. Um, and you know whether this whether the state gets a 2030 or 2034 games, I don't think it really matters. I think people like the world to come. We have the All-Star Game here this weekend. Um, it's another showcase for the state. Um, it, it, it's a great it's a great time. I think Utahns enjoy it, and they like to be participants as well. Our volunteers here were probably That's second right. to none at any any Olympics. The legislature is all in on the Olympics. In fact, I'd like to see Utah become the permanent home of the Winter Olympics. Uh huh. As we're on the national stage in our in our last minute. Representative Lester, it's interesting as uh, Utahns are talking about how many people are moving to the state. The more we're known, uh, the more people are coming, which creates its own sort of policy issues for you as legislators, including our governor saying maybe some someone can stay in their own states. I think we should be welcoming to people from every state. I moved here from Texas 30 years ago and have considered this my home. I think that people who come to Utah do it intentionally and come to embrace the beauty and spirit of our state, and we need to be the welcoming people that we are to for people from every state. Mm -hmm. I, I just think it was a poor choice of words on the governor's part to throw Californians and refugees into the, into the same sentence and kind of disparage them in a way. And I don't think he was trying to say that. Yeah. I think he was trying to say, hey, we're dealing with growth issues. I, I think we welcome people to move to Utah, but but it does put pressure on a lot of our, our resources here, mm -hmm. especially housing. Senator, in our last 30 seconds, the legislature is sponsoring some legislation to connect the state of Utah to the Olympic Games. Yes, in fact, we had the Olympic. We, we had uh, several people on the Senate floor yesterday, and we pa we passed that bill through. And like, like I said, we're all in. I don't see that bill getting any opposition. Okay, we'll watch this that is one bipartisan closer. Bipartisan for sure. Yes, it is bipartisan. Thank you so much for your insights this evening. Thank you for listening to the Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.